Lord, we thank you that you have brought us from all different walks of life, different upbringings, different families, different cultural backgrounds, and we are gathered together in the name of Jesus. Lord, that you truly have reconciled all things back together in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would be glorified here tonight as we study your word, that you would be lifted high. Lord, we thank you that you are the guest of honor. You are the reason why we are here. We are joined together through you and in your name. So we ask that as we get into your word, that we would focus on what you have said. Lord, we pray that your words would increase, Lord, and that what I have to offer would be minimal. Lord, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, help us to understand what it is you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so we are in Genesis chapter 21 tonight, and Genesis chapter 21 is Pastor Mike McCarrick. He's such a blessing to me to give me such a beautiful passage, right? Genesis chapter 21, for those of you who have been following with us, this is the fulfillment of all that God has promised to Abraham up until this point. Nine chapters of waiting for us. 25 years of waiting for Abraham to come to this point in Genesis chapter 21. And Proverbs 13, 12 tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a promise fulfilled is a tree of life. And I'm sure all of us can understand the validity of, validity of that statement in our own lives. Whether you are on the side of hope being deferred, right? When, when you have your hopes and your desires and they are not being met, it has this ability to make you feel sick. It has this ability to, to just feel like it's a weight that won't go away. When you have those questions of whether or not what you are hoping for is going to come to pass. Maybe you have the question, I know God is faithful for others, but will he be faithful to me? Or maybe you're on the other end and you are past those years of waiting and you have found your hope fulfilled and it has brought you joy and it is, it's like a tree of life. But now you're, you're asking, well, now what should I do? I've, I've been praying for years for this to happen. I've been praying for years and hoping that this would happen, and now it has. And what should I do about that? Well, we see tonight in our passage that this is exactly the place that Abraham finds himself in. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God called a man named Abram, out of Ur, the Chaldeans, to a place that he didn't even know. God was like, I'll show you, you'll know it when I get you there, right? And now, 
God said, I'm going to make a great nation of you. I'm going to give you more descendants than there are stars in the sky. And so Abraham, in faith, he got up, he went, right? This is the story we've been talking about for weeks on end. And he's been waiting, and he's in Canaan. And in the first year, no kid. Five years, no kid. Ten years, no kid. Eleven years, Sarai says, I've got an idea. Right? And he takes the promise into his own hands. But then God comes back. Years later, 13 years after uh, Abraham makes that mistake, and God says, no, I've made you a promise, and I'm good on my word. Sarah is going to conceive and bring forth a child. So tonight, what we're going to be studying about is all about the faithfulness of God. We are going to see that God has proven himself faithful to Abraham and to Sarah. And we're going to be looking at how Abraham and Sarah and the people around them respond to God's faithfulness. And hopefully we will be encouraged as we look at God's faithfulness to this couple thousands of years ago, knowing that God does not change, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that if God was faithful to them, faithful to his word back then, he will be faithful to us. And we are going to see that ultimately all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. And we, through Jesus, respond with amen. So be it. We agree to the glory of God. Amen? So, starting in Genesis chapter 21, in verse 1, we're going to be reading through verse 1 through verse 7 to start off. And it says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. And all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And so this first point that we're going to look at is the laughter that God brings through the bringing of this child and the seriousness of laughter, right? Um, James chapter 1 verse 17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from our heavenly Father. And that includes laughter. I don't know if you've thought about this, but laughter is a gift from God, right? Laughter is a beautiful gift from God. It's to be enjoyed. 
it is just such a fun aspect of our life. And guys, as Christians, we, we should not be stodgy, right? We shouldn't be like moping around. No, we as Christians, we're joyful. We are the only ones who actually know where laughter comes from, right? And you want to know something? God is probably one of the best joke tellers, right? Look at our story here tonight. Back in Genesis, uh, what is it, chapter 10, I'm asking you guys. See, that's a joke. Um, so back when the Tower of Babel happened, right, God divides the nations. And then he's like, I'm going to make a nation for myself. You know who would probably be the best people to make a nation for myself? Oh, yeah, this, this really strong people group over here? No, not them. Oh, yeah, these really smart people over here? No, how about the the elderly couple with no kids, right? That's who God chooses, right? And here's the thing about laughter. Laughter, by definition, it's the act of making an involuntary uh, response of sounds and movements of the face and body that are, are an instinctive expression of li lively amusement. That didn't sound very fun, did it? Um, but basically, here's the thing about laughter. Inherently, for something to be funny, it has to catch you off guard, right? That's why when people are not good at telling jokes and they accidentally tell you the punchline first and then they try to tell you the joke, it's not funny. Why? You, it's ruined. You already know what's going to happen. Here's the thing. God's such a good joke teller that he actually is able to tell you the punchline. He'll keep telling you the punchline. And then when it comes to pass you still won't believe it and so you think it's funny, right? That's exactly what happened here to Sarah and Abraham. God is so amazing that he's able to surprise us with doing exactly what he said he would do. And that's what we see here in the first couple verses of Genesis chapter 21. God wants to make it abundantly clear that he has been faithful to the very thing that he said he would do. In two verses, God repeats that he did exactly according to what he said he would do. Verse 1, and the Lord visited Sarah as he said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Three times in two verses, God wants to make it clear he is faithful to his word. Isaiah 56, 55 verse 11 says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Likewise, Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. God takes his word very seriously. And God does not speak for no reason. So when God gives a promise, it's as good as its fulfillment. Amen? 
And that's exactly what Abraham and Sarah have the opportunity to see in this passage. God is faithful. And because of God's faithfulness, this is a huge turning point in the life of Abraham. Last week, Pastor Mike was talking about how we, we've kind of got this wishy-washy Abraham, right? Sometimes it's like, man, that guy is full of faith. He's in it. He believes God. And then the next week, a, a famine comes, and he's in Egypt, and he left the land of promise, and he's lying that his wife is his sister so he doesn't get killed. Same guy, right? You wouldn't know. Wow, he's, he's off battling like pagan kings to rescue his, his nephew. And then he's lying to another king, telling him his wife is his sister again. He, but here, after all of Abraham's seeming wavering, God is still faithful to fulfill. Right? Not because Abraham was perfect, not because Abraham earned it, but because of grace, because God is able, because of God's faithfulness, because God said it, and he's not a man that he should lie. And so, verse 3, this is how Abraham responds to the fulfillment of the promise. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. You know where he got that name? God gave it. God told Abraham what to name his son. Because as God was reaffirming his promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, Abraham laughed. And he said, oh, Lord, please just let Ishmael stand before you. Like, please, I've got a son. Just use him. Right? And there's this laugh of seeming disbelief. And God says, you want to know what you're going to name your son? You're going to name him laughter. That's what Isaac needs, laughter. You're going to, you want to laugh? I'll make you laugh. And you're going, to rem, you're going to remember how I've made you laugh. Every time you call the name of your son, you're going to be reminded of my faithfulness. And so he names him what God called him to name him. Then, verse 4, Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Once again, faithful to what God had said in Genesis chapter 17, as God set up the rules for the covenant, that each person born in his household, each male born in his household, would be circumcised on the eighth day. And that's what Abraham does. He responds in obedience. The birth of Isaac affirms Abraham's faith and encourages him to walk in obedience, knowing now by experience that God is faithful. His faith has become sight. And then we see Sarah's beautiful response. Because in Genesis chapter 18, if you remember Sarah also heard the promise from the Lord herself when Pastor Dan taught in that passage. And Sarah, when hearing the promise, also responded in laughter. 
But that laughter was a sorrowful, unbelieving laughter. There's a, there's a children's storybook called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it's beautiful. If you don't have it, just get it. If you don't have kids, that's fine. Get it. It's like a beautiful commentary on scripture. And one of the things that it says, it has this story about the birth of Isaac. And it tells that part where Sarah hears the promise. And it says she laughs, but God heard that there were tears in it. And here we see that God takes her sorrow and gives her joy. Isaiah 61 verse 3 tells us that God gives beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And in verse 5, it says, now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. And all who hear will laugh with me. This phrase here, God has made me laugh, actually literally translates to God has made laughter for me. You can imagine her holding her baby, looking at her baby son named laughter, and she's saying, God has made laughter for me. God has made this joy for me. And that's really what the promise of God does, right? It gives you joy for sorrow. It's too good not to be true, right? Oftentimes we say that phrase, oh, it's too good to be true. Well, if it's too good to be true, then it's not very good, is it? But God's promises are too good not to be true. And so as she's looking at that fulfillment in her arms, she's saying, God has made laughter for me. God has brought joy. And not only that, this is the type of laughter that's contagious. Isn't that the best? Have you ever, have you ever laughed like a belly laugh and all of a sudden, or maybe somebody else is laughing and you don't even know what they're laughing at, but they're laughing so heartily that you're like, this is hilarious. And it's contagious, and all of a sudden, like, and then more people come in the room, and they're like, what's up? And then they just start laughing. That's what happens, like, with my daughter, Elizabeth. Like, she doesn't, she, she doesn't get jokes at this point. She's young. But if all the kids are laughing, she just, like, runs into the room and just starts, ah! Right? It's adorable. And this is a contagious type of laughter. When, any, when anybody would hear, wait, hold on. How old are you? That's, that's your son? How, how did that happen? And then the story of God's faithfulness. Well, let me tell you. And God is glorified. So much so that, guys, we're talking about this probably like, I don't know, 5,000 years later? 3,000 years later? I don't know the math. A long time ago. And we're still talking about it. And it's still funny in the best way. there's even a greater joy. Not just for those who have heard God's faithfulness in the life of Abraham and Sarah, but that the son of promise has come. Just like the angels first proclaimed to the shepherds at the coming of Jesus, 
Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Right, the scriptures talk about how we're supposed to be ready to give a response for the hope that's within us. People should be able to see the joy that the Lord has brought in your life, and you should be ready to explain to them why. Listen, God has made laughter for me because before Jesus, I was lost, but now I'm found. Right? Before Jesus, I was all caught up in all sorts of things, and now I'm free. Right, the joy, as I was studying the other night for this, all of a sudden I was just thinking about the faithfulness of the Lord, and I started to laugh. I started to laugh and cry and laugh again because God is that faithful, and we should be remembering his faithfulness. But not everybody felt the same. Abraham was rejoicing, Sarah was rejoicing, but not everybody when they see the faithfulness of God, respond in the same way. Verse 8 tells us, So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. Right? God's continuing to be faithful to Abraham. He's, he's uh, raising up this son. You know, infant death was a lot higher during those days, so this was a cause for great celebration. He's about two or three years old at this time, and he's being weaned, and the boy is growing, and it's a great time of celebration. But in the midst of this celebration, we see verse 9, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. But the word there is laughing. Ishmael is Isaacing. But it's not the joyful kind of laughter that we were talking about. It's a mocking type of laughter. Now, to add insult to injury at this point, Isaac's about two or three years old, which puts Ishmael about 15 or 16. You've got a 15 or 16-year-old young man making fun of a toddler, right? This is cause for concern. This might even, you know, if you're looking at this, Ishmael's the older brother, and he's looking at with contempt his younger brother. This might bring back some memories in the book of Genesis, right? The older brother having contempt for the younger brother? kind of brings back memories from Genesis chapter 4, right? And Sarah sees this. And Sarah, having now received the fulfillment of the promise, is not content to allow this situation to come to a head. She has foresight. She sees that there's trouble brewing, and so she speaks to her husband, Abraham, Verse 10, therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight. 
because of his son. So we see that that Ishmael is disdaining his younger brother. And we don't really know why. The scripture doesn't give us the exact reason why. But it could be that he was disdaining his younger brother because all of a sudden now he's been supplanted as the heir. Now all of a sudden he sees his father filled with joy over Isaac when before he was the only son. For whatever reason, it was unacceptable because God had proven himself faithful to Abraham. This promise was not kept under wraps in his household. I'm sure that, that Abraham's whole company knew and heard of this promise. He changed his name from great father to a father of nations. And so... Ishmael, though knowing the promise and seeing the fulfillment of God, which should cause him to rejoice, he disdains and holds his brother in contempt. He doesn't rejoice and bask in the blessing that would be brought through Isaac. Instead, he's jealous of it. He's mocking it. Oh, yeah, sure. He'll be the heir. Right. That little scrawny kid. Sure. Right? And it's not the first time, and it's not the last time, that those who have put their faith and trust in the faithfulness of God were held in contempt. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 says this. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That's exactly the culture of our world today. Wait, you, you mean you believe in Jesus? You follow a dead Jewish guy from 2,000 years ago? No, actually he's alive. But if you're going to put your faith in the faithfulness of God, you need to be ready to suffer scorn. Because ultimately... Jesus, as he was being the faithfulness of God, was put to shame. But actually, as it looked like he was being put to shame, he was putting the powers of darkness to shame. Amen? And though the world might come against you and try to deride you and try to say that you're foolish, for believing God's word, to say that, oh, you're just ignorant, oh, you're so backwards. God will vindicate you. God will justify you. And ultimately, those who put their trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. Amen? And so, Sarah has the wind wisdom 
to speak to her husband about this situation that's brewing. And she tells him, you need to send your other son away because the promise that God has given to us is through Isaac and he's not going to be a joint heir. Isaac is not going to share the inheritance. He gets the full inheritance, right? We were talking last week, Pastor Mike was talking about how important it was for God to protect the lineage because ultimately this is the line by which Jesus would come. This is the line by which God would bring the the promised son in fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, the seed that would come of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. And God is protecting this lineage. And so it can't be mixed. There can't be two heirs. Because Ishmael was, as Galatians chapter 4 tells us, Ishmael was born of the flesh, Paul tells us. It was, it was not according to the promise. It was according to Abraham's will, not God's will. And so we can't have that mixture It can't be, well, God's going to bring about the promise through Ishmael and Isaac. No. God's faithful to Ishmael, and we'll see that in a moment. But God's promise is going forth in Isaac because it's God's plan. We can't add to the will of the Lord, right? You need to do God's work, God's way to gain God's blessing. You cannot, you can't, if God gives you something to do, you can't be like, that's a good idea, but what about this? We'll just, you know what, we'll do this. We'll definitely do this, God. But we're going to tag this along. But ultimately, this brought Abraham deep pain and suffering. That word, it says, it was very displeasing. In the Hebrew, it's a stronger word than that. Abraham was like freaking out. Which makes sense. Abraham was likely a loving father. This was his son. And now he's being asked to send his son away? And the last time he listened to his wife, it didn't go so well. So you can understand his hesitance, which is why God, in verse 12, comes along and he says, But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad, or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. God, We see God's graciousness towards Abraham in this instance. Even though Abraham had made a mistake, God is going to be faithful to Abraham's son, Ishmael. What a beautiful picture of God's mercy and grace. Yes, you do need to send him away, but I will take care of him. I will raise him up. And we see, this is like the first instance we see of Abraham 2.0, right? The the wishy-washy Abraham has now been done away with. Now that he has seen the fulfillment of God's promise, Abraham's not going back and forth. He's not looking for a loophole anymore. He simply obeys. Verse 14, so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water 
And putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up. And she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bowshot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. Oh, what a distressing, heartbreaking situation. Because of Ishmael's disdain for his brother, he is cast out. Once again, kind of similar to Genesis 4. His decision has now exiled him from the people of God. And it looks like it's going to end in a very despairing state. They ran out of water. They're in the wilderness. And Hagar, loving her son, decides, I don't, I don't want to have to look on the death of my son. But if you remember, God had made a promise, not only to Abraham about Ishmael, but to Hagar. In Genesis chapter 16, God had promised to Hagar that Ishmael would grow up to be a mighty nation himself. And that God had plans for her son. But Hagar had forgotten the faithfulness of God. God had been faithful to Hagar once before, protecting her, sending her back, covering her, revealing himself to her. The first time we see that God is revealed to someone is in Genesis chapter 16 to Hagar. The first personal name that is given for God is by Hagar, the Lord who sees me. But right now, she's forgotten all about that. But the beautiful thing is that disobedient, mocking young man didn't forget the faithfulness of his God. Because it says in verse 17, and God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Hagar left her son to die by himself, but Ishmael prayed to God. He, too, was a son of the covenant. He wasn't the promised seed, but he was a part of the covenant. He was circumcised in the house of Abraham. He was taught about the Lord. And when he was in trouble, he called out to God. And just as a reminder, the name Ishmael means God hears. And so Ishmael called on his God, even though he knew he had made a mistake, even though he blew it, even though he was thrown out of his father's house, he knew God would be faithful, and he called to him. And let that be an encouragement to any of you who feel like you've strayed away from the calling of God, or you've disdained God's promises, or you've, you've counted the things of the world more important than the things of God. 
you call to him, he will hear you. And so, we see once again God's faithfulness, not only to Abraham and Sarah, but to Hagar and Ishmael. And it says in verse 19, Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad. And he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. A lot of the times Ishmael gets a bad rap, and honestly, it's kind of well-deserved. A 16-year-old making fun of a toddler is not a great light. But sometimes I think we go too far. This passage clearly tells us that God did not leave him. God was with the lad. God knew what he was doing, and he was taking Abraham's mistake, and he was redeeming it for good. And ultimately, we will see that when Jesus comes, he brings all nations, peoples, tribes, and tongues underneath himself. The lineage of Isaac, even though Ishmael despised Isaac, now through Jesus, Isaac's line encompasses all who would come and call on the name of the Lord. What a beautiful redemption that is. Not only was Ishmael redeemed and God was with him, but now those who are from Ishmael's line. And the Muslim nations claim Ishmael as their progenitor. And isn't it beautiful that we hear story after story of God sending them dreams of Jesus to bring them into the fold. Amen? What a beautiful, wonderful, merciful, and faithful God we serve. And so, verse 22, here's the thing with the promise that God gave Abraham. The promise had two main parts. He said, go to a land that I will show you and I'll make you a great nation. He says, I'm going to give you all more descendants then there are stars in the sky, sand on the seashore, and he says, I'm going to give you land. And what we're going to see here is now that Abraham has dealt with the issue of the lineage, right? He's been obedient to protect the lineage by which God has given him this promise. We're going to see that Abraham is also going to be obedient and faithful in regards to God's promise about the land. This, this is Abraham 2.0. This is Abraham. No more wishy-washy. He is standing firm on the faithfulness of God. It says in verse 22, And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. This is likely because Abimelech has heard what God has done. It says, at that time. 
All of a sudden, Abraham, 100-year-old guy, has a child by a 90-year-old woman. This kind of justifies all the crazy talk that Abraham had been saying all these years. And when something like this comes to pass, you're like, hmm, I might have to do something about this. The last time he was around, he made, he made me think that his wife was his sister and then God made everyone in my nation barren. I think I might go talk to him. He sees that God is with him in all that he does. So we see, what's Abimelech's response to the faithfulness of God? Well, Abimelech's response to the faithfulness of God is fear. How do we know it's fear? Is because he's proactively going to this hundred-year-old guy and trying to make a covenant with him. And he brings his army commander. Abimelech is afraid of God's power in Abraham's life. And because of that, he wants to make a covenant. It's interesting, as Abimelech is talking to Abraham about this covenant, he says, Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me. This is probably in reference to the last chapter, where Abraham dealt falsely with him. And then everyone in his nation was barren. And then Abimelech had to part with a lot of sheep and oxen. Right? He's like, hold on a second. Abraham, I can see that God's doing something in your life. Why don't we make an agreement? I'll be good. I've been good to you. Now, please be good to me. And he's got his army commander there just to kind of, you know, put a little pressure. Let's make this covenant, Abraham. And so Abraham does make the covenant. And Abraham, in the past, you would think, wow, he's probably afraid, right? He's probably fearful. Abimelech brought his, his army commander. This guy means business, you know? He's putting pressure on him. He's trying to intimidate him. But that's not what we, what we see here, right? We're not talking, I was afraid you might kill me for my wife. We see a different Abraham here. And Abraham said, I will swear, Verse 25, then Abraham rebuked Abimelech. Do you see, guys, do you see this? This is this 100-year-old guy who was last year afraid that Abimelech might kill him and take Sarah. And now, he just made a covenant. Here's this king and his captain of his army. And, Abimelech, and Abraham's like, I got a bone to pick with you, dude. 100-year-old guy. I love it. We see Abraham is built up in faith. He's bold. He is not going to back down. And the issue is this. He rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until this day. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. 
And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called the place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. The significance of, of this passage is this. Abraham, up until this point, has been a sojourner and a wanderer in this land. This land is semi-arid, which means that water is not always abundant. Abraham has much livestock. He is a shepherd by nature. Shepherds need water for their animals. Abraham dug a well. The reason why that's important is because Abraham's looking to stick around. He digs this. This is the first instance we have of a well being dug. We've got other instances of wells, but this is the first time we see Abraham dug a well because Abraham's not looking to leave anymore. God has been faithful to his promise. This is ultimately his land, and he's not going anywhere. And so when he makes this covenant with Abimelech, he brings up something. Your servants are trying to push me off. I dug that well. That's my well. And what does Abimelech say? He's like, okay, fine. I didn't know. It's your well. It's not quite ownership of land. That comes a little bit later. But it's the first inkling. Abraham owns a well in the promised land. Abraham has access to year-round water in the promised land, which means he doesn't need to leave anymore. This is a huge deal. For us, we're like, oh, he dug a well. No, digging a well is super time, uh, what's the word? Super time intensive, and it secures him security in the land. He doesn't need to leave. He doesn't need to wander to find water for his animals anymore. It's almost as if he's starting to take the land. And he's not going to be bullied or discouraged or intimidated by Abimelech because he knows that God is faithful to him. God has been faithful to give him the promised son, and God will be faithful to give him the land. And so we see that this Abraham has now been built up in his faith. He's trusting in the promise of God. And this is further emphasized by how this chapter ends. Verse 32, it says, Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. The name Beersheba means place of the oath or place of seven. And it's actually a play on words. Shaba means oath, Sheba means seven. And so basically, the word seven in this culture had the understanding of perfection or completeness. 
And so Abraham naming the place Beersheba, this, this well, my well. By oath, completely mine. This is my, I'm not going anywhere. The well of the oath, the place of the oath, the place of seven. This is not changing. And so Abimelech and Phicol leave, and the first thing that Abraham does is he worships. He plants a tamarisk tree. He plants a tamarisk tree. This is, bear with me. He plants a tree over a source of water. Does that sound familiar? He plants a tree by a source of water. A well would be understood. This is an underground river that they've tapped into. So essentially we have a tree planted by a river of water. Should bring recollections of Genesis chapter 2 in Psalm 1. This idea of the tree of life. This is God bringing about his purposes and plans in the world. And Abraham says, amen. Just like we said before, that all the promises of God are yes in Christ. And we say in Christ, amen. And so Abraham is here and he is worshiping God. He plants the tree. I'm not going anywhere. I'm setting down roots. I'm here. You're faithful. You said this is my land, so I'm not going anywhere. And it says that he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And this, this name of God is so beautiful. It's El Olam. El means God. Olam means forever. God forever. The everlasting God. Now, Abraham's not so clever. He didn't come up with this himself. He uses God's word to Abraham, back to God. Abraham is simply talking back to God in the same language that God has talked to him. In Genesis 13, in Genesis 17, God keeps saying, I'm making you an everlasting promise. I, this promise for you, this covenant I'm making with you, it's forever. And now, Abraham is in the land, and he has his son, and he has this access to water. And he looks to God and he says, you've made me a promise forever? You're God forever. You are the everlasting God. You are God forever. Because Abraham had seen the faithfulness of God. It reminds me of Job, at the end of Job, when, when God comes and speaks to Job. And Job says, I had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen. Up until this point, Abraham had been laying hold to the promise by faith. But now God has brought fulfillment. And this has encouraged him to further trust in the Lord, deeper faith. And what we're going to see now is Abraham never leaves the land again. He puts his faith in God's promise so much that he doesn't let his son leave. When, when Isaac's grown up and 
Abraham needs to find a wife for Isaac? He's like, no, 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 buddy. You, you got to stay put. We'll bring the wife to you. You're not leaving the land. Abraham is affirmed in faith. And ultimately, Pastor Mike is going to talk about next week the ultimate test of Abraham's faith. But Abraham has seen that God is El Olam, God forever, faithful. And he has put his faith in him. Now, you may be asking, that's all well and good. It's beautiful. It's so nice that this elderly couple got to have a child. But what does that have to do with me thousands of years later? Well, honestly, everything. Because the same God who was faithful to them is the same God who is faithful today. And God has proven his faithfulness to us ultimately in the fact that he sent his son, Jesus, the promised seed, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that by Abraham's seed, he would bless all nations. And Jesus has come and he has fulfilled that promise. And he has brought us in as children of the promise for anybody who would put their faith and trust in Jesus. We said at the beginning that 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says that all God's promises find their yes in Christ. And we say the amen. And ultimately, that is where all of our hopes are found. All of God's promises find their fulfillment in Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said, The God who has been faithful this far is worthy to be trusted till the end. And so the question is, is how will you respond in the light of God's faithfulness? You might be discouraged. It might not look the way you want it to right now, but I can promise you this, God is faithful and he will show himself faithful. And our response is to say, Elolam, you are God forever. My faith and trust is in you because I know you are a faithful God. All of God's promises find their yes in Christ and in Jesus we say amen to the glory of God the Father. God is faithful. He will show himself faithful. He's looking to show himself faithful. We need to lay hold of the promise by faith until our faith becomes sight. Amen.